0: Dear congregation, the theme for the sermon this morning is comfort and instruction in suffering. Comfort and instruction in suffering. Four points of attention. First, in Christ's way of salvation, Right, the theme was comfort and instruction in suffering. Well, we find that comfort and instruction, that's the first point of attention, in Christ's way of salvation. Secondly, we find that comfort and instruction, that's the second point, in Christ's vicarious suffering, or substitutionary, or vicarious suffering. Third, we find that instruction and comfort in Christ's preaching to sinners, Christ preaching to sinners, and fourthly, in Christ's sovereignty, in his exaltation, sovereignty. So comfort and instruction in suffering first, in Christ's way of salvation. Second, in his vicarious suffering, Third, in his preaching to sinners. Fourth, in his sovereignty. And we just follow the verses 18 through 22. So the first point of attention comfort and instruction for them who suffer in Christ's way of salvation. As you probably remember, last week we listened to 1 Peter 3 verses 13 through 17, the preceding five verses. And the theme back then, last week, was how do a good life, a life in Christ, and suffering go together? An important question. A question that lives probably at the bottom of our heart. And we heard that there is a blessing in suffering. That there is even peace in suffering. That there is an opportunity to witness in suffering. And that lastly, there is God's will. Suffering. Well, this morning we hope to listen to the last verses of 1 Peter chapter 3 18 through 22. This passage is one of the most difficult passages in Scripture. According to many exegetes, even the most difficult passage. I read Text, of course, in Greek and in a couple of commentaries. And one contemporary commentator needs 22 pages to give an explanation of these verses. And that's just one commentary. The Greek is difficult. The background behind some of the sayings here is. Difficult to understand. It is vague for us. Many things are difficult and hard to understand. But I do not intend to give you a lecture this morning about all kinds of difficult interpretations. We are not here to hear, here to hear a lecture, right? We are here to hear the living voice of God. So I want to open the scripture and just to point out these things that are certain for us, that are clear to us. And there are so many lessons. And all these other things, we put them aside. That's maybe for your personal study, but that's not for the proclamation of the word of God. Because we need to hear the living voice of the living God in order to receive life. That's what we need Sunday by Sunday. Well, certain things are sure and not that difficult here. In the first thought, I want to give you a kind of overview, a brief overview of this passage Because there are three things that are immediately clear for us. Uh, The first thing about these verses, 18 to 22, it is that it is still here about suffering for Christ's sake. This is still the subject we are dealing with. And it is an important topic because we all suffer in our lives and when we follow christ no doubt about it we will all suffer for christ's sake and for righteousness sake so it is important that we receive instruction and that we receive comfort in this suffering and again Clear. It is still here about suffering, for the sake or interest of Christ. How do I know that? Well, just look to the preceding, the first verse, and the preceding verse, and the next verse after this passage. Verse 18, right? The first verse of the passage we deal with this morning begins with that simple word for. In other words, there is a clear connection between these verses and the preceding verse. And what do we read in the preceding verse? Verse 17. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And then, for Christ has also once suffered. You see, it's again about suffering. That's also made clear from 1 Peter 4, verse 1, that first, immediately after this passage of Scripture, we read there, 1 Peter 4, verse 1, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, in the preceding verses, our passage for today, it is precisely about that. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Oh, how do we need the instruction on suffering? Because we are so limited in our understanding, in our strength, and we run up, against our circumstances, and there is so many question marks with us. Lord, why? Lord, how? Lord, help us. And therefore, we need indeed this instruction because, again, suffering is there for every Christian. There is a second thing that is clear here in this passage and that is that it is all about Christ this morning it is so important that in our suffering we look away from our circum- from the circumstances that confuse us and that cause anxiety and fear and that we turn away from them, that we turn away from our inner troubled heart, and that we turn to Christ. And therefore, Peter again and again points us to Jesus as the one who suffered. And there is so much comfort to be found in Christ and his suffering for them who suffer here for his sake well it even takes us beyond christ's suffering it peter takes us by the hand and he points out that christ's suffering was only part of christ's way of salvation it's only part of it and peter actually says this morning especially you sufferer, look to Christ who suffered, but especially to the outcome. He is now the exalted one, he's the sovereign one. Yes, he suffered for your cause, sufferer. But look where he is now. Seated at the right hand of God, the exalted one, the sovereign one. In control of everything, even your opponents. Just just, let's look within bird's eye view to this passage. You you read first of all, right in, in verse 18. Christ also has one. We are not alone in our suffering. Christ suffered, and actually, he suffered his whole life on earth. Not only in Gethsemane, not only at Calvary's cross, his whole life, he was the suffering servant. We are not alone. There is one who knows what it is. To suffer. But but let's continue to follow that way of salvation of Jesus Christ in this short passage. We, We read secondly, why did he suffer? And he let let's remember he suffered voluntarily. He didn't suffer as a result of sins. As a fallen sin? No, he suffered voluntarily. It says there, that he might bring us to God. And therefore, he suffered. And we continue to read. He was being put to death, but made alive. He was put to death. That crow was suffering there in Gethsemane, in Golgotha's cross, and it led to his death. But he was made alive, and we continue to read a verse later. He went, in other words, he came and he preached. And we hope to hear later in the sermon that he preached always. He did so back in the Old Testamentic days. He did so on earth. And he still comes to us and preaches. And we continue to read about Jesus Christ. And we read in verse 21 that he is the resurrected one again. He was made alive. And there is that full emphasis that he was made alive. He is the resurrected one, and then it ends with a doxology, a praise. First twenty-two. He who began his life on earth as a sufferer, voluntarily to bring you to God. Look where he is now. He is gone into heaven. From where he is. He has all power and reigns. In other words, his suffering was not purposeless. It had a purpose. To bring sinners to God. And it ended in glory. Seated at that right hand. Well, well, consider this. When we are one with him by faith, he's our head, we are his body. When his suffering has a purpose, our suffering has a purpose. When his suffering ended in exaltation and glorification, the same thing will be true for every follower. Because he is the heavenly bridegroom. And every believer is his bride, right? The believers are his bride. He's the body, the head. We are the body. United with him. Through suffering, he became the exalted one. And this is true. For everyone who suffers here. For Christ's sake. What a comfort and hope is here, right? 1 Peter 1, verse 7. Let me quote you that verse from the beginning of Peter's letter. Listen here. That the trial of your faith, we go through trials, being much more precious than of gold that perishes. Gold is a refined, right? So we need a trial though it be tried with fire might be found so the trial of your faith might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of jesus christ you see there is waiting and glorification and an exaltation. and and then he continues to write in first peter 1 verse 7 and 8 whom having not seen ye love In whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice. With joy unspeakable and full of glory, let us rejoice in our sufferings. Let us rejoice in the trials of our faith, knowing that when Christ will return to earth, we will receive that crown of righteousness. And be seated with him, be made kings. That is a rejoice in suffering. There is a third lesson when we look with a bird's eye view on this verse. So first it is about suffering, and we need it. Second, it is about Christ to turn our attention away from our self-pity to Jesus Christ, and that our self-pity will be turned into joy. But third, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's so clear from this scripture. There was condemnation of Christ and our enemies and opponents back then in Noah's days. And there was salvation For the righteous Noah and his family back then in Noah's days, right? And there is still today and tomorrow. All who are baptized. And as far as I know, everybody here is baptized. Or at least almost everybody. So as as we are baptized, we are reminded again and again of the certainty of Christ's work. And in baptism, he reaches out to us, he comes to us, and he preaches to us of salvation, and he remembers us constantly about his work of salvation. Do You see, Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, for our children and grandchildren, and he comes to us, and he preaches, and he opens that full way of salvation. Well, let's summarize this first point, our longest point. This passage points us to Christ and points us to that way of salvation of him, and that he went from suffering to exaltation and glorification. That from a suffering servant, he became the almighty one. He suffered, but he was powerfully vindicated. From suffering servant, he turned into an almighty king. And all who are united with him by faith will be vindicated. On the day of Christ's appearance in glory. You will be vindicated one day. Oh yes, there is much trial now. There is much pain. There is much suffering. One day you will be vindicated and glorified. That crown of righteousness is waiting. A crown of grace. It is Christ's. Salvation is being united with Christ. And because He suffered, we'll suffer. But because He was glorified, we will be glorified. You see, salvation is only by faith, by faith alone. Well, that's the first point. Second point. There is much comfort and instruction for a sufferer in Christ's vicarious suffering. Christ's vicarious suffering. Well, let's go over this passage. That's what we will do in the next three points. But we'll do only, it, it's only actually an overview. But, but we'll follow this passage text by text. Although we'll do it fast and quick because there's so much here. Again, we can spend hours or even days on this couple of verses. We will not do so. But there is so much comfort here for the sufferer among us. There is a warning for the unbeliever. And there is admonition for the weak believer crying out and being in much turmoil because of suffering. Oh, there's so much for each and every one of us here this morning, whether we are a believer or an unbeliever or a weak believer. For each and every one of us, there is a message this morning. Verse 18. All right, we begin there. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us. Let me begin with a question. What is the biggest problem in our life? When we ask these questions to people who suffer because of overt persecution, they probably will say, our persecution, we suffer so much. And we long for peace and freedom. But in our Western society, with a leg of overt persecution, although there is spiritual hidden, right? By spiritual forces, persecution. But, but, but with a leg of overt persecution, when we ask each other, what is your biggest problem? Well, these are things we experience in our daily life, in our everyday life, as things that are seriously problematic, painful, stressful, life-threatening, things that make us feel anxious or fearful, things that keep us awake at night, maybe our illness, whether it is physically or mentally, tragic events or situations we experienced or loved ones experienced, that question where the world is headed, especially the younger generation, is often bothered by this question, where is this world heading? Well, these things can wake us up and keep us awake at night, and probably we we experience them as our biggest problem. But I don't tell you anything new when I tell you this morning that there is an underlying problem behind all these problems, and they are serious problems. And it's completely understandable and even relatable when they make you anxious and fearful and keep you up at night. But there is a far bigger problem, and that's the problem of our sin. Because the root cause of all our suffering and all our misery is sin and that problem needs to be solved first we can address all the other problems we should address them but let us not forget to first address our biggest problem our sin we are all laden with guilt because of our sin we are all by nature enslaved to sin slaves to sin and this is the case since the fall of Adam and Eve in sin. We are thrown out of paradise. Angels are blocking the way back. And there we are, living in darkness, in the desert, and slave to sin, powerless against Satan and his henchmen. Our biggest problem is that we have to meet God. We, all of us, each one of us, will meet God at one day. How can we meet God? When we are still sinners, it's impossible. When we will meet God as sinners, we will be condemned we will be thrown away in that fire. That lake of fire. You see, the first thing we need to do, we have to deal, we must deal with the root cause of all our suffering and all our problems, our problem of sin. And we read here, verse 18, for Christ Also, has one suffered for sins? Yet, yes, he suffered. You know why? To solve our biggest problem, the problem of our sin. And therefore, he suffered. We all suffer because we are sinful. We are laden with sin. And therefore, we deal with misery. But Christ suffered voluntarily. He took our sin upon himself. He came into our sinful experience, in our sinful world, existence. And he suffered. He even died. Because of our sin. Christ also has once suffered for sins. Christ solves that problem that is unsolvable for us. We cannot solve the problem of sins ourselves. Did you try to do it? Luther, right, he tried to solve that problem of sins by good works. On so many ways, he tried to solve the problem I hope to come back on that Reformation Day evening until he found Christ and he came to the conclusion, it is by faith alone in Christ, by faith alone, that my problem of sin is solved. Then I am free in Christ alone. None of us doesn't matter, but faith alone. Christ also, hence one has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. The sole purpose of his suffering was bringing us sinners to God. He paid vicariously by his death for all who believe in him. Do we believe in him? Or are we still trying to deal with our sins ourselves? Or don't we deal with the problem of our sins at all? We leave it there. That's deadly. Maybe we think, well, maybe God will solve it for me one day, but today, We don't know if there is a tomorrow. Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And we continue to read, being put to death in the flesh. He died in his flesh. He died in the realm of the flesh because flesh is sinful. It is fallen flesh. But quickened by the Spirit, he was made alive by the Holy Spirit. He was made alive in the realm of the Spirit. And all who are united by him have died with him in the flesh. All who believe on him have died in the flesh. No more sin. Set free. No more bonds. Set free. All who are united with him are made alive with him in the spiritual realm. Receive everlasting life. You see, it's all about faith. And he suffered to bring such sinners to God, to set them free. And therefore, he died. He was put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Oh, what a lessons are here. He suffered, why? On purpose, to save sinners. We suffer as a consequence of our sin. Not that there is always a one-to-one connection between a particular sin and our suffering. We know that. But generally speaking, we suffer because of our sins. And we live in a fallen world but christ suffered on purpose to bring such people's suffering back to god let me ask you why do we complain about our suffering let us complain about our sins because that's the root cause lamentations wherefore does a living man complain for the punishment of our sins, let us complain about that. Let us search and try our ways. Turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts with our hands and to God in the heavens. Let us flee to Christ. You know, no good works will help you. Because they are done in the flesh. And they fall short. What we need is to be made alive by faith through the Spirit, to be united with Christ who was put to death and made alive. That's what we need. John 6, labor not for the need which perisheth, but for the need which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, for him has God the Father sealed. And then a verse later, this is the word of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. And we suffer, so we discover our biggest problem. And in our suffering, which is a trial, we discover Jesus Christ. And we are comforted because he suffered for us on purpose, voluntarily to bring us to God. and then. There is this song, thanks, thank thee God for my suffering, thank thee for this trial. Now my eyes are opened, now I see Christ, now I know of him, thank thee for leading me in these trials and suffering. Paul wrote in Colossians, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Well, before we end with, in short, with the last two thoughts, let us sing Psalter 228. That's Psalm 84, stanzas 2 and 3. Psalter 228 psalm 84 stances two and three We think no good will he deny, but that good might be suffering and that fierce trial. But it might be so necessary for our salvation. To find a solution for our biggest problem and to find Christ and to live with him. So that might very well be that good. But let's move on. There is comfort and instruction in Christ preaching to sinners. First 19. Verse 19. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Much has been written about his uh, words, the spirits in prison. Who are they? There are many theories. According to some, when we connect it with the next verse, it refers here to Christ descending into hell after his death. Well, that's impossible. Because after he died, he went to heaven. That's what we know because of the Gospels. Because of his sayings at the cross. Especially to that murder hanging next to him. He immediately went to his father. So that's impossible. Some others refer to the fallen angels. But tell me, why should Christ preach? Because it speaks about preaching, proclaiming the gospel to fallen angels. Sin, salvation for fallen angels is impossible according to the word of God. So also that few I can't agree with. And it speaks about the giants. Maybe these giants in Genesis 6. Well, I don't know, but I would like to leave it with a very simple explanation today. Who are the spirits in prison? It's all of us. According to the word of God. We, by nature are all prisoner. Did you discover that? Did you acknowledge it and confirm it before God? God, I am a prisoner of lusts, temptations, Satan, evil, and I can't set myself free with any effort from on my side. I am a prisoner living in darkness. Set me free. And the way is pointed, has been pointed out. Christ alone, because he came in our darkness. He took the darkness upon himself. He suffered and died. He was made alive. And he preaches to prisoners like us. I would like to prove that this is a perfectly possible explanation of this text by quoting three verses from Isaiah. Isaiah 42, verse 7. And we know that Isaiah 42, verse 7 points to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ cites these words in Luke 4, at the beginning of his ministry. To open the blind eye. You see, to bring out the prisoners. That's why Christ came. And that's why he preached and preaches and will preach. To bring out the prisoners from the prison. Spiritual prisoners. And them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. He is the light and the son of righteousness. Therefore he came to preach to prisoners. Isaiah 49, verse 9. That thou mayest say to the prisoners, call forth to them that are in darkness, shew yourself. Don't hide behind the bushes like Adam and Eve. Shew yourselves. Here I am, a sinner. Isaiah 61, another proof text. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, the sufferer, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year for the Lord. What a comfort. We have a Savior who not only saves from God's wrath and condemnation through his suffering and death but he himself preaches. He comes to us and he brings that good gospel himself. And he is the one who brings into the light, who opens the doors of the prison house. And he was willing to suffer for this cause. Well, let's turn it around. When we suffer, let us not complain or have self-pity. But let us become preachers of the good news. Showing that Christ suffered for sinners like us. To set us free. And then we come in verse 20. And there it's about Noah's day. Peter often cites stories and prophecies from the Old Testament because they contain the truth. 20. Which sometimes, so these are the spirits in prison, were disobedient. When once, at a certain day, long time ago, the long-suffering, the patience of God waited. It were the days of Noah. While the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. You know, Christ preached back in Noah's days. Christ preached. How? Through Noah, that righteous servant of him. How? By his words and by his deeds, by building that ark there. And it was a sign and a seal, that arg, that God would condemn the water, the earth, by that flood, because the people were so sinful, so filled with unrighteousness. And therefore Noah proclaimed, and he proclaimed, and he warned, and he warned, and he called for repentance with words and deeds. Every time he took up that hammer, and the people heard that noise, and the noise of the saw, they knew, they knew this is God's message to us. And at the same time, Noah prepared an ark, a place of safety in that coming flood, and it was an invitation, come to me and be saved. We know what happened. Only Noah and his family were saved. All the other people, they heard Christ's message. Christ preached to them through Noah. They saw Noah's deeds, right, that building of that ark as a sign and a seal of God's word and promises, and they were disobedient. They continued in their unrighteous life, in their sin. But Noah, Noah, the righteous man, righteous because he believed in God. Righteous because he believed in the coming Messiah in Christ. Noah was saved. And what a comfort with his family. What a comfort, isn't it? Oh, back then, so many people were prisoners. You see, they were really prisoners. And they were disobedient. They didn't listen to the word of God. And they continued their way of life. And Noah, he suffered. He suffered because of all that unrighteousness, because of the mockery around him. He suffered. But he was vindicated. He was saved with his family. You see, God vindicates the righteous sufferer. And then we move on to the second verse, the next verse, 21. I can be short on that because I preached on this verse not that long ago. And when you want to have a fuller explanation of this verse, maybe you can listen again to that sermon. It was a couple of months ago, but let's read it, very short. The like figure... Where unto even baptism does always now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, that, that, that work, that preaching of Noah, that work of Noah, that flood, the wrath of God poured out in that flood on the sin of man who were disobedient <laughs> and the salvation of noah because he was obedient and he trusted god and he builded that an ark and he was saved in his family all of that is a picture of baptism it is a likewise figure of god's work in christ Baptism also points out that our root cause, the root cause of all our problems is our sin. And that we rightly deserve God's wrath. We deserve it to be drowned in the waters of God's judgment. But that baby that that comes out of the water, as a picture that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. He is the ark. You see, and Christ preaches through that sacrament of baptism. It is added to his word. So Christ preaches in the proclamation of his word through the sacraments. He did so in the Old Testamentic days, and he does so now. Christ comes to us. Oh, what is our answer to Christ preaching to us? He tells us, sufferer, I suffered purposely, voluntarily, to bring you to God. I'll bring you in this suffering that your eyes will be open. In your suffering, I'll come with my word to open your eyes. And all followers of Christ will be vindicated. The question for us is, where will we stand at that great day? Among the sheep or among the gods? Among the disobedient or among the obedient? The last thought, very short. Because it is a rich comfort. But you can ponder about it or meditate on it at home. Verse 22. The passage ends with a rich and powerful reference to the glorified Christ. Who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Christ suffered as the suffering servant for the sin of the world. He died as the just for the unjust. He served and died to bring sinners to God. He did what the first Adam should have done, but didn't. He lived in perfect obedience to God, his heavenly Father. He took up his cross and lived according to the will of his Father. He went through so much suffering and that shameful and painful death but he was vindicated he was vindicated he rose the third day dead according to the flesh in the realm of the flesh the realm of the sin but living according to the spirit in the spiritual and spiritual life and he ascended to heaven and he is there seated at God's right hand place of honor and the place of glory and the place of power and authority. From the suffering servant, he became the almighty king. See how God turns all things around? The suffering servant became the almighty king. He took up his cross and followed the will of his heavenly father. Let us take up our cross. And follow the will of the heavenly father. Because God will turn all things around. He will vindicate. Each one of his people. And everyone. What a comfort. As Christ is glorified. Each and every Christian and believer. Will be glorified. And the roles will be reversed. Luke 1. Right? Mary sings about it. He has put down the mighty from their seats. And don't forget, also the mighty suffer. But he puts them down from their seats and exalted them of low decree. You see, he exalts them who take up their cross of a low decree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. Well, let us take up our cross and follow Christ in obedience to God's will, wherever he leads us. Amen. Let's seek the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank thee for thy rich word, thy many promises, the abundant instruction. O Lord, teach us to suffer for Christ's sake. In other words, to first become a follower of Christ by faith alone. O Lord, take us by the hand in our suffering as followers of Christ that we may see Christ who suffered voluntarily to bring us to God. He's the great high priest. He knows what it is to suffer. But, Lord, what a comfort it is that all of us who suffer for Christ's sake, for his interest, as a follower of him, will be vindicated, will be glorified and exalted, and receive that crown of righteousness. O oh Lord, help us. Be the after preacher. We ask thee to bless this word. Hear our prayer. Forgive our sins in the name of thy son. Amen. Let us sing Psalter 292, 292, stanza five, 292. That's Psalm 107, and we'll sing the last stanza. Sons of man, awake to praise God, the Lord who reigns above. Lift up your hearts to God and receive the blessings of the Lord. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.